uh, as we are still working through our Beatitude series, as Pastor Joel said, we are on week three. So, I just decided that I was going to do this when I was standing there. So, if you, yourself personally, you as a family, can memorize the Beatitudes before, let's say, the first week of September, and you tell it to me or you email me a video of you saying it, I will give you a gift card for coffee from somewhere or a donut or whatever you so choose. But if you can memorize it and send it to me, I'll get you a gift card. So that's your challenge. So it's Matthew 5, 3 to 10. That's only seven verses. You can do it. But if you do it, I'll give you money because bribery is how we get people in the word today, apparently. But we got this. So I really do encourage you to read it, try to memorize it, familiarize yourself with that passage. Because the Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke, which is probably one of the most well-known pieces of the Bible. This sermon was a collection of truths designed to prepare his followers for his kingdom, which involved a lifestyle that was extremely different than what the world says. So in the Bible, Blessed usually means happy. It means a favor or gift bestowed by God, thereby bringing happiness. But in the context of Matthew 5, blessed meaning happiness seems a little out of place. When a person has acquired good fortune, we say they're blessed. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus calls some people blessed who appear to be the opposite. So people who mourn don't seem to be blessed in that moment. People who are poor don't seem to be blessed. And according to our world standards, it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is contrasting the world's idea of happiness with what true blessedness or spiritual prosperity actually means, which is relationship with God. So the verse that we're looking at today is verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Beatitudes are maybe most well-known um, but they're probably the least followed. So Jesus starts by saying things that don't seem to really make sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And yet, none of those things really seem conducive to a blessed life, as we understand it. If I'm persecuted, mourning, poor, beat down, my first thought isn't, wow, I'm so blessed today. But that's what this is saying. So blessing is actually a covenant word here. Clearly, getting your head cut off would not be a great moment. But it's more than a feeling. It's explaining that you are blessed by God and not the world. So looking at the Beatitudes, Pastor Mark Clark calls them the losers of our world today because they aren't the powerful ones. They aren't the influencers. They aren't the popular ones. They aren't rich, but they're blessed. So going back to verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn. This paradox in the Beatitudes seems so dramatic to me. But Bible scholar William Barclay wrote, It is an astonishing thing to speak of the joy of sorrow, the gladness of grief, and the bliss of the brokenhearted. But through the fulfillment of God's plan, those who mourn shall be comforted. Again, naturally it just doesn't seem as if mourning would be the right way to achieve happiness and comfort. Instead, most people would say that the source of happiness would involve lots of earthly things, partying, drugs, drinking, fun things. Not so much sadness and heartbroken. 
But a biblical example of this would be King Solomon. So he was a wise and wealthy king that had every physical thing he could ever want. But in Ecclesiastes 7, 2-4, when he's looking back on his life, he says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. But the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So mourning is an important part of our lives. It enables us to look at life in a different way, in a way that invites us to change and grow. So in this way, those who mourn truly are blessed, despite what we may think. James 4, uh, 8 to 10 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. A mourning heart keeps in mind that this physical life isn't eternal. Mourning, whether in repentance or out of compassion or loss, can lead to inner reflection. And this enables us to do some self-examination. Now, please hear me on this. God doesn't want us to just sit in dark rooms and mourn continually for our entire lives, dust to dawn, permanently. A fruit of his spirit is joy. And while there are certainly times for mourning, there are also times for joy, and a balanced life will have both. But for a Christian, godly joy doesn't come from our outer circumstances. Instead, the joy comes from knowing God personally and choosing his way of life over our own. A close relationship with God brings more than just joy and more than some people think is possible because God's way, once internalized, gives us a sense of inner peace that no number of trials or mourning can overcome. Part of the mourning in this passage speaks of mourning our own sin. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus reminds his disciples that they cannot seek happiness in the way that the world does. True joy is not found in our selfishness or personal gain, or avoidance of self-reflection, but it comes to all those who mourn over their own sin. So Isaiah 66, 2 says, there are ones that look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at my word. When we agree with God about how bad our sin is, repent of it, and then seek his power to turn away from it, he promises us the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The kind of mourning that leads to repentance truly is blessed. When we trust in God as our substitute for sin, we no longer stand guilty but set free. So rather than having to wallow in the guilt and shame that we feel, we can stand justified before God, and that is a huge blessing. Those who learn to mourn over their own sin find the heart of God, and intimate fellowship with God is the very foundation of true happiness and gives us that deep comfort that we all desire to have. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7 to 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. That's a heavy verse, but it's saying that godly sorrow and mourning comes when we rightly seek God and the light of the world rather than ourselves, because we all fall short. This mourning is meant to be an acknowledgement of my own sin and my own failing to produce repentance which then gives me a way to find transformation and growth. 
If I mourn over this, if I feel the weight of the fact that I am never going to be good enough, it'll drive me to work out my own issues and push myself to be better and actually reach the standard that God wants me to be at. That's why it's written in Ecclesiastes 7.2, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. The comfort that Jesus offers to all who mourn with a godly sorrow is that the sin that they repent over can come to an end in their lives. Isaiah 61.3 says, Jesus came with glad tidings to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the mourning. This idea of being blessed for mourning isn't crazy when we look at the rest of the Bible either. It's not only here. The Apostle Paul, one of the most influential leaders of early Christianity, uh, he was saying in the book of Philippians that to die is gain. This is the same thing. Jesus is saying that the way that the world looks at things and the way that he does are completely opposite because we can't do this on our own and we can't do it the way we think we should. Uh, looking at James chapter 1, verse 2, I was really challenged because right off the bat in this book, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So James doesn't just say, survive the trials, get through them, find your way to the other side, and it's going to be okay. He says, I want you to count it as a joy. And look, here's the truth. I feel that I suffer. I do. Hear me out. The gyms have been closed for an entire year. Actually, they haven't been. They've been open, but I haven't gone. But I started going back, and I've never been this sore in my life. And I'm like, God's forsaken me because I can't lift weights and not want to cry. My niece, she came, she's six months old. She came and stayed with us for a couple weeks. I feel that I suffered. She woke up at 5.30. That's disgusting. Like, I didn't sign up for this. That's not my child. Why am I getting up at 5.30? I just felt that that was a big suffering in my life. I had to mourn my sleep. I can't eat gluten anymore, which is the only ingredient known to man that makes things taste good. So you know what? I feel that I'm suffering. I do. But God literally looks at me and goes, you giant bummer, grow up. He says, Jaden, I literally don't care that you can't have gluten or that you got up at 5.30. He says, count it joy. He says, blessed are those who mourn. And obviously that's a lighthearted mourning, but there's real mourning too. Not just the small things that we don't like, but really hard moments in our life. Like being a kid and having my parents divorce. Real moments of mourning. Losing loved ones. Seeing a friend lose their newborn baby after 20 days. How often do I actually count that as a joy? How often do I turn around to God and say, thank you for this? Because I don't. Because I'm heartbroken, I'm angry, I'm sad. But God says, no, count it as a joy. And he says that because in that moment of mourning, in that moment that I feel like that, all I have is him. All we have in those moments is God. How often when things are good, do I truly rely on God that fully? How often do I just sit at the feet of Jesus and say, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, all I have is you. I don't. But when times are hard, when I'm stuck in mourning and there is nothing but him, those are the moments that I feel his comfort. My discipleship rises to the top in those moments because I seek him 
more and more. We grow in those moments. Suffering produces perseverance and faithfulness. And that's what God cares about more than anything, his power and his sufficiency. Because he knows his power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, one of the greatest in the Bible, asks God for the removal of the thorn in his side, and God doesn't. So in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So therefore I will boast all more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For if all you do is walk in a life of perfect and good things, you will never look at God as all you have left. He wants you to feel him and experience him and trust in him alone and to understand that at the end of the day, at the end of all of this, he is the only thing we have left. He uses you and me to show those around us that he is completely sufficient in who he is. And a hard reality for us, if you have a relationship with Jesus yourself, is that God will use you to show other people that. He will be, use you at the expense of you because it is more important for people to know that God is the only thing that there is and his true comfort than to allow you to have an easy life and have things the way that you want them to be. People can look at your life and say, how are you comforted through all that's happening in your life? How are you okay? How are you still going? And you can say, because his sufficiency alone. There's a personal mourning that we all need to have. We need to mourn our sin and the tragedy of our lives because let's be honest, we're continual messes and we always fall short. But there isn't one biblical text of Jesus laughing, but there is lots of him crying. John 13 tells us that in the upper room, Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. He's described as a man of sorrows. I don't mean to say that Jesus never laughed or had fun, but I'm saying that there obviously is a theme in the Bible of mourning for our world. This doesn't mean that he wasn't a happy guy. It just means that the weight of lost people, of those who will never know Jesus, who are dead in their sin, was something that we need to take note of. There is so much in this world that should be breaking our hearts, and we need to take time to feel that weight, and we need to understand that it's only a life with Jesus that gets rid of the broken, the corrupt, and the hurt. We love to travel and see the beauty of the world. We travel everywhere, we take like those cute little beach pictures and the selfies and we hashtag it and you know what, filter it so it fits our Instagram aesthetic. All my young adults get at. But do we actually care about the world's mourning? Do we actually cry over the world? Because when Paul went to Athens in Acts 17, he actually cried over the idolatry that was happening in that city. Psalms 119, 136 says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I'm not like this. That's a moment of honesty for you. I don't know the last time I actually drove through Edmonton and cried over the fact that people don't know God, 
Pride over the fact that there are people that are living on the streets that don't have water, that don't have things in their lives. I don't cry over the hurting and lost. For the people who are struggling, yeah, I have moments. I have moments where I feel bad. I have moments where I pray. I have moments where I cry about looking at our world and how broken it is, like child slavery, human trafficking, just the continual horrors that we see from people. But how often do I just shut that part off in my brain and continue on with my happy life? How often do I get more upset over dishes being left on my counter than people being killed for their faith? I actively find ways to avoid mourning in my life rather than embracing it as joy. And I know for most of you, you probably do too. But I'm telling you, we're missing something. We're missing something important because the Bible didn't speak of Jesus' tears to make us feel bad and make us think that, wow, we really suck. He's saying that we need to mourn for our world. He's saying that we need to be like him in heart. We are called to mourn and we are called to lift that up in prayer because the only comfort that comes in mourning is him. Here's the reality, at the end of this life, I know what the truth is. I have found the only thing that's gonna save me and yet I so easily forget to pray for others to have that same confidence and truth. I push away mourning so much that I forget what the true answer is of mourning. The second half of verse four is just beautiful. For they will be comforted. When you are doing fine, this verse just doesn't really hit you the same way. But maybe that's something that you haven't really experienced yet yourself. Maybe you haven't come to a place where there's nothing left but God. And if you haven't been through it, if you haven't come to that place, unfortunately, I promise you that you will. But if you have, you know that this verse means everything. I don't mean this to sound like the world's most pessimistic Sunday morning, where I'm basically saying like, well, if you haven't gone to that place yet, you will, but it's true. God even promises it in the Bible. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There will be a time where this verse will be all that you have, and that's good news, because we know that on the other end of this life, at the end of suffering, at the end of mourning, at the end of all of it, there's someone there to comfort us. And we all wanna be comforted. I'm 25 years old, and you can ask my mom. I call her all the time because if I'm sad, if I'm hurt, if I'm just having a hard day, I want my mom. Because I want that feeling of comfort. We all want that. We want that safe place, that feeling that everything is gonna be okay. And Jesus is saying, that's what I give you. We have the feeling of comfort always available. And if you have the courage to be a mourner, you get a comforter in return. If we believe that God's grace and sovereignty are greater than any loss or disappointment, we can experience joy in the midst of sorrow. We may not understand why God allows tragedy, and we honestly may never get the answers that we really want. But I promise you, we can rest in comfort. So today, as we close, um, I want to do something a little different. We're going to take a couple minutes to just pray. There's going to be a picture that comes on the screen of just some things in our world that if we truly believe that we need to model our hearts after God, we need to be praying over these things and mourning as God does. And these are just the start. If there are other things you know of, lift those up in prayer. If there are things going on in your life that you want to lift up in prayer, this is that time. But we have a role to play in lifting others up in prayer. 
We come to God with our tears and our heartbreak for what is happening in our world and we get to leave it at his feet. This is a great chance to step out and try something different. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, this is a really cool chance that maybe this is when you try. Maybe this is your first attempt at prayer. And if you're not there yet, that's okay too. Take time to research these. Take time to find organizations, find missionaries you can support, different things, sponsor kids. But we're gonna take these next few moments to understand that what breaks God's heart should be breaking ours. And that it's okay to mourn because he promises us comfort in return. So we're gonna take the next couple minutes and it might feel a little awkward and a little bit quiet, but we're gonna play some music and we're just gonna pray over these things that are on the screen. And we're just gonna lift them up to God honestly saying, break my heart for what breaks yours and let me mourn for this because I know that there is comfort.